0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, He led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to His people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism, to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, "'Who do you think I am? "'I am not that one. "'No, but he is coming after me, "'whose sandals I am not worthy to untie.'" Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet, in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere you will not let your Holy One see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days That you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them. And went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. Let me add my welcome to Ben's. It's great to have you with us. Uh, We're going to spend the next uh, little while looking at Acts 13 together, so it'd be a great help to me, and I trust to you as well if you keep that open in front of you. And I'm just going to pray and ask God to help us as we come to look at it together. And so let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the sort of God who sent your Son to rescue us, and sent your Holy Spirit to connect us to that rescue and to unite us with him. We pray that as we come to your word together this morning, that by your spirit you would help me to speak clearly and as I ought to, and that you would help us to see wonderful things out of your law, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well I wonder how confident do you feel this morning in your relationship with God. Uh, I was talking to a friend this week about how he became a Christian. Uh, It's one of the things that I absolutely love to hear about. If you're in a conversation with me, you can guarantee that I will be purring like a Cheshire cat. Actually, they smile, don't they? But they are. They grin. But I will be purring like some kind of cat to hear how it is that you um, came to know Jesus for yourself personally. And he said um, there were two things that really stood out for him when he first started going to church and hearing about Jesus. And the first one was the character of Jesus. He said, Even in the small things, he was always good, always kind to people, never lost it with them. uh, The character of Jesus. Um, But then secondly, and and this was the thing that really made me sit up and listen. um, He said, um, uh, the other thing that struck me was that Jesus even came for someone like me. He even came for someone like me. Now, I had to ask him to say more on that. And, uh, and so I said, you know, why, why do you say that, even someone like you? And he said, well, at the time I started coming, to be honest, I was all over the place. Um, I wasn't a particularly nice person. And to be honest, I didn't really expect that Christianity would be for someone like me. And I was stunned to discover that Jesus' sacrifice meant forgiveness, even for someone like me. And If you're here um, this morning, and, um, a, a, and it might be that you're here like my, my friend, and actually um, you would think of yourself as not really being God's type, um, maybe, um, maybe you're not expecting to get very much out of your time this morning. Um, you're just very conscious that actually um, the idea of a relationship with God is not the sort of thing that you have really thought about or, or seems right for you. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, it might be that um, you're here this morning, you're a Christian, but um, the last few weeks has just not gone well for you. Uh, maybe you come here this morning weighed down by guilt or full of doubts and concerns in your relationship with God. How confident do you feel in your relationship with God? Maybe you, um, maybe you feel very at home here and actually you, you come feeling quite confident and I wonder why that is. How confident do you feel? Um, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he also wrote Luke's gospel, two volumes, and he begins Luke's gospel by saying he's writing the two of them to give us certainty about the things we've been taught as his readers. He wrote um, this book in front of us, Acts, so that we would be confident of the message about Jesus that we've heard and confident that as it goes out to the ends of the earth, that Jesus is on the throne and is trustworthy. And, um, and two things in particular this morning that he wants us to be certain about. Uh, the first is to be certain that God's message of salvation is for all people. And then secondly, and more briefly, we're going to see towards the end of our time that um, Luke wants us to be certain that God's messenger of salvation is the Apostle Paul. Because you see, um, here we are in Acts 13. We're at a key turning point in the story. Up till now, the good news about Jesus has gone out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, those two um, nations that would have made up the, um, the Old Testament people of Israel. And the main human player has been the Apostle Peter See, the gospel has gone out um, primarily within Old Testament Israel, and now in Acts 13, we stand on the edge of that land, and over the next 13 chapters, we'll see the gospel um, explode outwards to the ends of the earth. The gospel is going to go global, and the man who takes it there is going to be the Apostle Paul. And so, right at the beginning of um, this section of Acts, um, Luke wants us to be certain that the message of salvation really is for every kind of person, and that Paul really is the messenger. so let 's dig in and um, be certain that god 's message of salvation is for all people. Have a look at verse 13 and um, from Paphos, Paul and his companions. Um, Uh, sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch. So let's just have the map on the screen just in case you're not quite up on ancient place names. Um, Paul has left Antioch just north of the Old Testament sort of land of Israel. He sailed to Cyprus. They've gone around there preaching and now um, we're reading that they've headed just north into um, uh, what would be modern day Turkey today. So um, uh, Perga is, um, uh, is what's called Antalya today. Maybe you've been there on holiday. And from there, they've headed north to, um, to another city called Antioch. Not the same one, but this is another Antioch in sort of modern-day Turkey. And there, Paul is invited to preach in the synagogue, to give a message of encouragement. And um, the heart of his message is very simply going to be that God's message of salvation is for all people. That anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ can be forgiven every sin that they've committed. And um, I was encouraged to find this week, it's not just Anglican ministers who like three-point sermons, because Paul actually has three sections to this sermon here. They don't all begin with P or something nifty like that, so we'll forgive him that, but three points. Um, You can see three times in the sermon, you might have noticed, he addresses the crowd and says, listen up. And those give us the three sections. So verse 16, he begins, um, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Again, verse 26, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it's to us this message of salvation has been sent. And then again, verse 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So let's just work our way through his three points very briefly. And the first one, starting in verse 16, is that God has sent his saviour to Israel. And fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors and then Paul gives this, this overview of the history of the Old Testament, an overview of the story of the Bible, God's faithfulness to his people over the years, culminating verse 23, from this man, from King David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the saviour Jesus that he promised. And you see the point he's landing on. God sent to Israel this saviour, this king, Jesus Christ. The point is this, really. I hope you realise that Christianity is not a philosophy. Um, It's not a sort of piece of good life advice, series of kind of wisdom for living or something like that. All of that is encompassed within the truth of Christianity, but it's more than that. Christianity is about history, In time and space, God chose a particular nation, a historical people, the people of Israel. He was faithful to them. He made promises to them. And the crowning promise was that he sent them, this king, this saviour, in history. You and me, um, if we'd have lived 2,000 years ago and 2,000 miles from here in Jerusalem, we could have met Jesus of Nazareth God's saviour, and spoken to them. Christianity is historical. A few years ago, um, I did a tour of the British Museum with a great sort of um, retired um, professor of ancient history who, um, who, who'd worked there his whole career, and he just took us around showing us all of the evidence for the Bible in the British Museum. You know, if you've never done it, get that train down to St Pancras and get there and look at the evidence. It's stuffed full of Treasures that illustrate the point that the Old Testament is a historical narrative of God being faithful to real people, and of course the weight of evidence for Jesus is just indisputable and One little gem that I really enjoyed from that tour he kept pointing us to camels and pointing out whether they had one hump or two and um, At the end of the tour, you know you have any questions, and I just had to ask what the deal was with the camels, and um, as you would, and he said. Um, well, the thing is, um, generations of skeptics argued that you couldn't trust the Old Testament because they talk about these camels, and we'd found no evidence that they existed. So, I, I just like to show people in these ancient reliefs on the wall that the camels really existed. You see, just 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 evidence for the historicity of the Old Testament. And in history, two thousand years ago, and two thousand miles uh, 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 from here, in Jerusalem. God sent to Israel this saviour, this king, Jesus. And the second point that Paul makes is that God has sent his message of salvation to us. You see, a saviour to Israel and a message of salvation that explodes out to the world. Verse 26, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. You see, um, you and I were born 2,000 years too late and 2,000 miles away from the right place, but we can still have access to the rescue that Jesus offers because those eyewitnesses saw things and their message has been proclaimed to us. When the Saviour Jesus came to Jerusalem, the people who lived there didn't want him to be king over them. And so they rejected him, they got rid of him. They killed him. Verse 28, though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. See, they killed him, but verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. They didn't want him They killed him, but God raised him. The witnesses saw it, and their message is coming to you this morning. Because you see, Paul goes on to say, by raising Jesus from the dead, God was declaring that he wasn't just the king of Israel, but the one God had promised would be king of every person for all time. King over all times and all peoples. That's what it means in verse 33, that promise that the king will be called my son. If you read Psalm 2, it's a promise of a worldwide king over all people for all time. And you see, we have access to that message through the words of the eyewitnesses recorded for us in the Bible and preached to them by Paul. And here's the big conclusion. If you've been asleep up to now, it's time to wake up because this is the thing to really take hold of. Verse 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified, or in the, the newer translation, some of you might have set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You see, we're to know for certain that because Jesus died and rose, anyone can be forgiven any sin. God offers forgiveness to any kind of person if they believe in Jesus. I love how broad verse 39 is. Look at that again. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, and that glorious word, justification, to be declared right by God, in the right with him. Now, The atheist author, Margarita Lasky, famously said, What I envy you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. And Paul would have thought that was a tragic statement. Because the whole point of this sermon in that synagogue is to say, there is someone who can forgive you. King Jesus, who came to Israel, whose message is preached throughout the world, offers you forgiveness. Uh, She was um, from a Jewish background, so I guess she would have known the law of Moses mentioned in verse 39, the Ten Commandments. But it's not hard um, uh, to Uh, if you dwell on those commandments to realize how much we all need to be forgiven. No stealing of people's possessions or their reputation. No adultery either in the act or in the desire. No lies, not even little ones. No longing for things that don't belong to you. Uh, Honor your parents always. Worship the one true God, never push him to one side, never ignore him for a time, never put something else in his place. Now I wonder if um, for someone like her, she walked around with her knowledge of those commands um, with a mental list of all the ways that she was condemned by it. It's hard to hear the Ten Commandments and not feel condemned, isn't it? To not be imprisoned almost in my own failures I wonder how many of us this morning carry around a mental list of all the ways that we failed. Maybe we try and squash it down and keep busy, but then in the middle of the night when no one else is around, we can't help but reflect on all the ways we've let ourselves and others and God down. And Paul, a Pharisee, knew that the Old Testament offered no definitive solution to the question of our guilt before God. And yet he was able to preach in verse 39 that everyone who believes is set free from every sin and declared right with God justification that they were not able to obtain under the law. See, it's what Jesus meant when he said that he came to drink the cup of God's right anger and justice at human guilt. He said that he came to drink it to the dregs. Here was a man who was innocent, who was genuinely good and righteous, and yet he came to take on himself the justice that we deserve and to drink every drop to the dregs. It's what Jesus meant on the cross when he cried, it is finished. It's what the psalmist meant when he talked about God removing our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, burying it in the depths of the sea. Every person who believes, every sin forgiven, if they trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable truth to think about, isn't it? Almost hard to believe that an offer would be that good. We want to know what the catch is. I wonder if it's almost harder to believe as you go on in the Christian life. You become more and more of a, aware of the ways that we've let God down. And here Luke, Paul wants us to be certain that it's a message of full forgiveness for every person And so whatever you do, don't make the mistake that the people of Jerusalem made. Verse 40, take care that what the prophets have said doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe in, even if someone told you. When when God's saviour, King Jesus, stood among the people in Jerusalem, they didn't want him, and so they killed him. And Paul says, make sure that you don't make the mistake they did. When you hear the message of salvation, that you can be forgiven, that anyone can be forgiven, don't reject him. Don't scoff at the message and say, it sounds ridiculous. Don't make the mistake they did. Trust him, believe him, ask him to be your king and the one who forgives you, your saviour. I wonder this morning, have you asked Jesus to be your king, the ruler of your life? And have you asked him to forgive you, to be your saviour? But then let me ask you too, is this something in your heart that you believe for all people of all nations, that they can be forgiven every sin? Uh, the way Acts 13 plays out is that um, in verse 42, the crowd love what he's saying and they want to hear more. But when the whole crowd of the city gathers in verse 44 and they realise it really is a message for every kind of person and not just the good religious um, moral insiders, they are furious with Paul. And I wonder if it's easy for us to believe on paper for ourselves that Jesus came so that any kind of person could be forgiven every kind of sin and yet to find that very hard to stomach when it's people who we think God shouldn't welcome. Now let me ask you, who do you find it hard to imagine being forgiven and welcomed into heaven with open arms? Let me sharpen the question a little bit. Who would you feel most uncomfortable If they came and sat next to you to hear the gospel next Sunday? And maybe it would be the person who stank of um, alcohol or drugs, uh, murderer, rapist, paedophile, terrorist. Who do we find it hardest to think that Jesus could die in their place so that they could be forgiven their sins? Don't fall into the mistake the people of Jerusalem did, don't scoff at the offer of forgiveness. Line up with a king who comes to forgive anyone who will come back to him and say, I want you to be my king and the one who saves me. See, it's not a new truth for us, and yet Luke says, Be certain that that is the message of Jesus Christ. But then you can't trust a message unless you can trust the messenger. And so for our last few minutes, the thing that we're to be certain of, secondly, is that God's messenger of salvation is the Apostle Paul. God's messenger of salvation is the Apostle Paul. Now, we live in an age where there is enormous pressure not to trust the things that Paul, of all people, says. There are many who insist he invented his own kind of Christianity. And the writer, George Bernard Shaw, for example, uh, wrote this, there is not one word of Pauline Christianity that is, char- that is the characteristic utterances of Jesus. Not one word the same, he says. And um, there is great pressure. It might be from uh, it might be from uh, uh, skeptical academics. Uh, it might be from the popular novels of uh, someone like Dan Brown or something like that. It might be from um, from inaccurate TV documentaries. But there's plenty of pressure to believe that you have um, a nice Jesus, meek and mild, on the one hand, and then somewhere different to him, you have Paul, who is. Um, uh, I don't know, misogynistic in his viewpoints, we're told, about gender, or bigoted, or a hard and uncompromising man. And there are many people who will say there's some great divide between them. Well, let me tell you, first of all, that has always been the way. If you read the book of Acts, you see people again and again attacking Paul because he's the one who goes out to people they don't want to hear the gospel, to all nations, to the ends of the earth. And so they attack him. The first heretics that you meet in the Bible were in the business of separating Paul from Jesus and the other apostles. And Luke wants us to be absolutely confident in the messenger. That God's messenger of salvation is the apostle Paul. Uh, Three lines of evidence. We'll roll through them really quickly. Three lines of evidence. First of all, um, Paul's commission... So um, back in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, you don't need to turn there, you can um, just take that one for your notes. Uh, Acts nine fifteen. verse um, the risen Jesus, when he appears before Paul and converts and commissions him, says, "'This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel.'" And then again, just before this passage, Acts 13, verse 2, um, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. See, here is a man who has been commissioned by God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in history to be their messenger. Uh, let me ask you a slightly strange question. How, how would you know that I work here at Christchurch Church Forward? I mean, it may not bother you that much. The question may not have crossed your mind, am I just one of Paul's mates who hangs around here and sometimes climbs up in the pulpit? But how would you know? Well, here's one way. There was a commissioning service when I started here where the bishop came and officially commissioned me to work here. And, um, and some of you saw it, so you'd make good eyewitnesses. I even have a little certificate somewhere. Uh, don't ask me to dig it out, but uh, somewhere I've got the certificate that says that I was commissioned to work here. It, how do you know that Paul is genuine? Well, in the book of Acts, in history, you see God the Son and God the Holy Spirit commissioning him to be their spokesperson. Uh, we see it in Paul's message. Just have a look at verse 31 with me very quickly. Uh, verse 31, he records that the witnesses saw the risen Jesus. At the end of the verse, now his wit- um, now they are now his witnesses to our people, And verse 32, we tell you the good news. We tell you what they saw, in other words. Actually, if you compare Paul's sermon here to the preaching of Peter and the other early Christians, it is just remarkably similar um, actually, I've got more than one Bible study guide to Acts in my study, which doesn't even have a study on Acts 13 because the authors thought it was just so similar it wasn't even worth having another study looking at it. Point for point, they don't always begin in the same place, but they all end on the same truth. Jesus is ruler and rescuer. Come back to him to be forgiven your sins. And then finally, thirdly, the pattern of, Jesus's, uh, of of Paul's ministry here. So look down at verse um, 44. The whole crowd of the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, heaped abuse on him. So Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, here's a question. That quote, Isaiah 49, who was that quote talking about? The light to the nations. See, if you've read Luke chapter 2, you'd see Simeon holding the baby Jesus in his arms and declaring that Jesus Christ was the one who would be the light to the nations. And yet, here we see Paul saying that their ministries are so closely aligned. That his ministry is nothing more than an extension of the ministry of Jesus. That the Lord, Jesus, has commanded us, Paul and Co., I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And actually, you see it in the pattern of this sermon, because how did Jesus' ministry begin? Well, Luke 4, he went to a synagogue, he preached. That forgiveness of every sin was available to every person, and they loved it, right up until he said, "Every person includes Gentiles." At which point they chased him out of town, just like Paul. You see, so with, as with the master, so with the servant. How closely aligned are Jesus and Paul? Well, Luke wants you to be certain that Paul's ministry is nothing more than an extension of the ministry of his master as it goes global to the world. Now that's good news because if you've read the New Testament, you'll know that a significant chunk of it was written by Paul. You can read those letters by Paul and be confident that he really does speak for Jesus. You never need to ask, okay, well that's what Paul thought. Where was Jesus on the issue? because Paul speaks for Jesus. In fact, we should never say, I'm not gonna listen to that, because that's just Paul. What did Jesus say on the issue? Because you cannot put anything between the two of them. Paul's message, salvation from every sin for every kind of person that calls people to turn from having other things as king to having Jesus as their king, is Jesus's message gone global. Global. How often the problem is not so much with Paul but that we don't want Jesus to be our king and it's easier to blame Paul than to listen to Jesus' message. And so as I finish, let me ask you, how confident are you in your relationship with God? The heart of the answer to that question will be the extent to which you have grasped that the message of God's salvation is for All people, for everyone who will believe in Jesus, receives forgiveness of every sin being declared right with God. And that is a truly trustworthy message from a trustworthy messenger. Let me pray as we close. Our Lord God, we pray that we would indeed be those who believe... And speak confidently the message that Jesus brings forgiveness for all people who trust in him and who have real confidence in Paul, his messenger. In Jesus' name, amen.